The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. I wasn't expecting to be starting today's show by saying lavatories czar. And yet, this is where we find ourselves starting. Um, an article written by Kemi Badenoch, the Minister for Women and Equalities in The Telegraph on Sunday, has been getting some attention, uh, talking about a new proposed policy for toilets in all non-residential buildings. If adopted, it would mean that all new public toilets would need to be uh, include single-sex male and female toilets at a minimum, and any, any provision for gender-neutral toilets would have to be on top of that minimum requirement. Badenoch says that she wants this policy, that she believes this policy would contribute to the privacy and dignity of members of the public when using these facilities. The Telegraph also reporting that ministers are considering appointing a lavatories czar to address what they're calling Britain's toilet crisis. As 10% of facilities have not been reopened by councils during the pandemic, perhaps not the focus of what Kemi Badenoch was talking about, um, but interesting to see that this is the subject that uh, the minister is is dedicating her time to in the Telegraph. Yeah, look, she spells out the difference between unisex and gender-neutral toilets in this article, and I think it's an important one. A unisex toilet's fully enclosed, it's got a hand base and it's got a lockable door. A gender-neutral toilets, a mixed facility where men and women use the same cubicles and hand-washing facilities. So the point of this piece is to say that the Conservative policy is having only a gender-neutral toilet is no longer an option. And she's pointing out there's a difference between sex and gender and there's a legal protection for single-sex spaces and that's undermined if you conflate the two. Now, I've just been flicking through some YouGov polling and that shows that the public is with Kemi on this. 50% want separate toilets for men and women compared to 40% who want gender-neutral toilets and separate toilets for men and women, and just 6% who want gender-neutral toilets only. Then in terms of the uh, number of people, the proportion of people who are comfortable using gender-neutral toilets, you'll not be surprised that it splits along gender lines. Again, this is YouGov polling. 53% of women feel uncomfortable, 53% of men feel comfortable. So it's easy to brush this off as an issue that only affects a minority of the population. But, you know, you've got half the population 
women you've got toilets a space that everybody uses it's not a space where you're likely to find cctv she's pointing out her argument is it's not transphobic to defend the right to privacy in a single sex space she says it's not about culture wars and she says it is possible to sort this and the economy i did think it was interesting in that polling as well if you just look at the women that were polled there's actually an equal score for the number of women that support having separate and a gender-neutral toilets as well. That was both 47% of them. So actually the bigger difference is found amongst the men were polling uh, that were looking for single-sex toilets uh, and not a provision of gender-neutral toilets too. Um, I mean, look, this is it's, it's interesting that there is... Uh, that this policy has been given such prominence uh, by the Conservative Party at a time when they're spending other full weeks talking about other issues, uh, like, for example, last week, small boats, this week, the NHS. Yeah, look, at the next election, the economy is clearly going to be important, although probably less important than it is now with inflation coming down. Interest rates may also be on the way down in a year's time. Uh, who knows? But, uh, you know, Labour will say this is the last election to save the NHS, as they always say. The Tories will say that Labour is planning a tax bombshell as they always say. But the truth is, there is not a lot of fiscal wiggle room for either party to do anything very interesting on tax or government spending. So surely the culture wars are going to become uh, much more important as we head into the next election. And I think the Conservatives... I, th- I think important depending on, on who you're talking to. Like that's the, you know, the other thing that polling tells us is that this issue doesn't rank as being an important issue to voters. Not on its if you own. Look, no, no, but I mean the priorities are the economy, health, immigration, the environment and housing. But I think the Tories are making the calculation that for... For certain people, this is going to be the thing that tips them one way or the other. And I'm interested to ask our government reporter, Alex Wickham, he's with us in the studio, about the strategy here. Because, Alex, speaking to uh, Tory grandees, there are many of them who seem to be frustrated behind the scenes about Rishi Sunak's top five priorities. It seems, talking to them, that they think he's done a very good job in diagnosing Britain's problems. But it shows that they say he lacks political nous in making them the top five priorities because it's been shown how difficult it is to solve them. But on this issue, when it comes to gender-neutral toilets, have they calculated that this is actually an easy vote winner? There is definitely an idea in Downing Street and Tory strategist circles that we are performing badly on the headline poll, uh, policy areas on the economy, on NHS, on on immigration, etc. But we're you know we're under big threat from Labour at the next election. But we can sort of over time, over a period of a few months, create this idea of doubt about Keir Starmer and the Labour Party. And that is that yes, we haven't performed very well as the Conservative Party. We we admit that it hasn't gone brilliantly, but can you really trust this guy on these issues to do what you want? And the Tories keep using this phrase, on your side. And it's an interesting way of framing it, because if you, like you say, if you look at the polling on trans uh, issues, it tends to favour the Conservative Party. If you look at the polling on small boats, it tends to favour a a hard-line approach on uh, illegal immigration. And the Tories think that they can create this argument, which is essentially Keir Starmer will do things on these issues that you don't support he's not really one of you on these cultural issues um he's too liberal he's too progressive he's too left-wing essentially on on culture issues yes maybe on the economy he's he's not far different from us you know we can't we can't accuse him of too much on that but on on these sort of other issues you can you really trust him 
it's a bit of a last throw of the dice, you might say. It could be a bit desperate because surely people will be voting on perhaps more important policy areas for the country. But it's something that the Tories think they will get a bit of play at. I do wonder if it's kind of all building a sort of a, a wider narrative. It's not just the gender neutral toilets. There is um, uh, new drilling in the North Sea. There is backing the motorists. I just feel like there's been a whole volley of these things uh, trying to create, you know, some clear water between the, the Tories and the Labour Party. They seem to be becoming much thicker, much faster over the, the last few weeks. Maybe it's just because it's, it's summer. But th- there's a lot of this coming, isn't there? They're, they're testing outlines. Essentially from September when, we, when Westminster comes back, there is a year-long campaign, uh, essentially, or give or take a few months either way, um, until the next election. You know, we're in full campaign mode and they're testing outlines over the summer to see what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, they might decide that the, they've had some joy on the trans issue. They may look at the small boats week, as they called it, in their communications grid and think, oh, I don't go very well. Um, so, you know, they're, they're seeing what works. They're th- throwing mud, essentially, and, and at the wall and seeing what sticks. What does and, the world look like at this point? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. Uh, I mean... You're right. You know, there there is this idea, whether it's motorists, gas boilers, uh, you know, all of these things. It's like, you know, the sort of theme they're trying to go for is Keir Starmer's going to move too quickly in modernising Britain and taking us into a progressive future. And we're going to do it in a managed, sensible way. And, you know, can you really trust that Keir Starmer's not going to go all out on gender neutral toilets and, you know, closing off the taps on North Sea oil and, and all of this stuff? And, it, it, you know, there is a certain kind of voter that might buy into some of that stuff. However, realistically, it's the Tory base that will most likely subscribe to that. So the lesson from those by-election results a few weeks ago in Selby in particular and in uh, Somerton and Froome is that the Tory voters who usually turn out didn't. So there are thousands of voters in those sorts of constituencies who looked at the performance of the government and said, oh, they're useless, I can't bother to vote. And it's not that they went and voted for Labour necessarily, or the Liberal Democrats, but they just didn't turn out and they they weren't motivated. So these sorts of right-wing policies are aimed at motivating that base, making sure they turn out because they're essentially scared at the next election and making the defeat less bad. Is there a danger that this all appeals to the red wall and to the 2019 voters that you know were won over by Boris Johnson, but it, it plays badly in Surrey and Kent and Essex and you know the Tory heartlands in the blue wall? This is the worst case scenario that Sunak has to deal with. It's almost that the Tories performed so well in 2019 due to those sort of combination of factors of wanting to get Brexit done and Jeremy Corbyn leading the Labour Party. You know, they won a lot of working class voters in the north and middle class more sort of centrist liberal voters in in the south and now they're in danger of losing in both those directions uh, you know they're, they're starting from such a high position in those dire- on those two differing areas which often have different views about what they want from a government that now you know they lose in both directions and we saw that in those by-elections you know there was a lot of focus in on uxbridge after those by-elections but really the you know if, Personally, I would say the story is in the other two by elections. In one, in one, they've lost the, you know, they've lost in one direction the, cent- the sort of centrist liberal direction to the Liberal Democrats. In the other, they've lost to Labour in the north. And if that is replicated, it doesn't matter if you know the Tories won Uxbridge by four hundred votes on a local campaign issue, because across the country they're losing hemorrhaging votes in huge numbers to Labour in the north and the Liberal Democrats in the south. And that would, would if replicated, it be disastrous. Boris Johnson was a master at framing uh, a political 
issue around something very simple that often perhaps belied the complexity or on occasions the truth of the matter. Does the, do the Tories still have that power to be able to frame an issue around something that perhaps allows them to control a narrative on something that is more complicated? This is a question that I've heard Tory MPs ask a lot in the last few days. Is Rishi Sunak a sort of convincing spokesman for some of this stuff? You know, right, very right-wing rhetoric on migration, climate change, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. And then at the end of the day, he's a, he's a former Goldman Sachs banker. He goes on holiday to California eating in, you know, incredibly expensive restaurants with his family. And, you know, of course he's allowed to do all of those things. And that's absolutely fair enough, you know. But if, you know, Boris Johnson did, rightly or wrongly, have a, have a relatively unique ability to convince voters of, of you know, of himself, um, you know, certainly in, until the last few months and you know does Rishi Sunak have that ability the polls would suggest not and there is nothing that is moving the polls at the moment you know we maybe the Tories would say oh we need months of this stuff to see whether it whether it has an impact. You've just done this big piece on migration whatever the voters believe what's your sense is Sunak actually as right-wing as Suella Braverman say or even near there when it comes to migration? It's a fascinating question you know you know, re- thinking back to where Rishi Sunak was a brand new MP, I'm trying to try to remember sort of what he was like. He was seen as one of the more right wing ones. You know, he was he was really seen as a sort of libertarian style quote, a Tory MP, small state, low taxes, that sort of thing. And obviously went to Treasury and and became a little more Treasury minded, shall we say? But um, I think he probably is pretty right wing on social issues. I think he probably does believe a lot of the stuff on. Uh, migration in particular and probably climate change as well I I imagine he is not as pro uh, net zero as Boris Johnson um, ideologically the the fascinating thing is Boris Johnson managed to get the right wing MPs to support him until the end even though he didn't necessarily further some of their you know uh, positions on on some of these culture issues Rishi Sunak is pursuing some of what the right wing want on these culture issues and the right wing can't stand Rishi Sunak so you know it's a it's a it's a a really interesting political dynamic that you know he he constantly tries to satisfy the 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 hardline right wingers in his party um and they never seem satisfied and I think that is partly because of the him as a salesman I mentioned those grandees who are frustrated about Sunak picking those five priorities. How widespread is that feeling in the party when you talk to people in the corridors of power? It's it's almost universal. I mean, nobody thinks it's going well. And, you know, it's not hard to see why. The polling is absolutely dire. And there is this argument in number 10 that, look, if we raise these issues of salience, it shows that we're, quote, on your side. You know, fine, we might not have stopped the boats, but at least we're trying to stop the boats. Fine, we might not have got the NHS backlog down, but at least we're trying to do that. You know, inflation might not have come down as quickly as we wanted, but you know, at least we correctly identified it as a problem and, and you know, pursued policies to try to try to help. Fine, but I really am sceptical of that, to be honest, because ultimately voters will, you would imagine, look in the round at 
what at the, at the delivery and you know sunak asked us to judge him on the delivery not just the i that i identified these things it's convenient for Tory you know spinners to say oh well you know actually the genius mastermind strategy behind it was that we were going to convince people that we we're on your side not necessarily that we we'd fix them all in a year well actually he told us he was going to f- fix them all and so far he hasn't and that is ultimately a difficult thing to him for him to explain to voters come the end of the year how, how is the the mood broadly in the in in the party there was that, there was that philip from the uxbridge by election but is, is it still pretty bad i mean inflation's moving in the right direction there is a view that among some very optimistic tories um that there's this sort of sweet spot where wages essentially outstrip inflation for a few months and and people feel a bit better off now you know most economists would question the wisdom of celebrating that but um you know you can see where they're coming from that you know perhaps back end of the year beginning of next year inflation's on the way you know inflation has come down and and people people immediately feel a bit better off possibly does that counteract everything that's happened over the last few years well there is no indication yet that the public is willing to give the tories the benefit of the doubt and that's the real problem at the minute is they've lost that benefit of the doubt You've talked us through this agenda-setting campaign that the Tory party has been running. At what point should we be expecting Labour to try and reassert their control of, quote-unquote, the agenda? Yeah, good question. I mean, I imagine if I was a Labour strategist or spinner, I'd be pretty happy with how August has gone because the Tories have taken control of the of the agenda and highlighted all of the their own failings which is an interesting comms strategy normally you sort of say look over there if things aren't going so well and the Tories sort of said look over here at all the things we aren't doing very well on on small boats and the NHS so I imagine Labour would be very happy with them reminding everybody about how badly all of that's going um so their approach will be to shut up I imagine for the rest of the month um come September there will be big pressure on Keir Starmer to offer a bit more and you know with the Tories lurching to the right you know, for want of a better phrase it's it, labor wants to sort of reduce the size of the target on them you know they want they want to make sure the tories can't say look at this weak spot that we've identified in the labor party on say uh, public spending or tax or whatever and the and you know this is the danger zone the labor wants to get all that as linton crosby once said the barnacles off the boat it's this sort of idea that you know no nonsense no 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 random issues that can suddenly creep up and cause problems it makes sense as a political strategy however it is inevitable that with a year ish until an election scrutiny will increase on them he will have to set out a, a, a clearly ambitious agenda there's no two ways about it other you know otherwise he will really start to come up under some criticism from his own side i'm sure you know they will have to come up with something at labor party conference other than just you know no more child benefit and uh, all of that sort of thing you know they're, they're going to need something a little bit more optimistic than that all right alex wickham bloomberg senior government reporter tearing silly season to shreds for us great to have you in the studio Now, after 14 interest rate rises, owner-occupiers dropping off their fixed-rate mortgage deals have been faced with soaring monthly monthly payments. But for landlords, many of whom are on interest-only deals with payments much more directly linked to interest rates, the pain has come much faster and harder. 
Now there's more evidence of an increasing number of those landlords exiting the market according to analysis of capital gains tax combined by, compiled by Savills. More than 150,000 properties were sold by landlords in the latest tax year. Now UK Finance is the mega trade body representing the banking and finance industry. James Tatch is their head of analytics and he joins us now. James, thanks very much for being with us. Talk us through then what is happening in the rental market and, and how this relates to your group's position. So um, thank you for inviting me uh, to talk. Um, in the in the buy-to-let market specifically, which is the uh, part of the PRS which uh, which we have sight of via our members, um, it is a challenging time for landlords. Um, a, a raft of uh, regulatory and tax changes since around uh, 2016 have made it a much more difficult operating environment for, for buy-to-let investors, and they've seen their, their profit margins squeeze. Um, and then in the uh, the past 18 months or so since we've seen rate rises, um, that's put additional pressure on on landlords that they haven't seen for uh, for 15 years. So so all the uh, all the indicators are much more challenging uh, for a buy to let investor than they have been for quite some time. So the private rental sector difficult for both tenants and landlords but this is just the latest thing you've had the stamp duty changes the increases to tax on profits is this really the hardest time ever to have been a landlord in the uk um well it's certainly the hardest time um in quite a while um we've had uh, until 2019 we've had ultra low interest rates and that's been a, a real benefit to the buy to let sector which is largely interest only anyway um as as you correctly identified at the beginning of the segment um buy to let being uh, almost entirely interest only it's much more exposed to interest rate rises than the, the owner occupied sector and so this is why we've seen areas uh, emerge faster in the buy to let sector uh, as rates have risen um it probably hasn't been harder at any time since, uh, certainly since the global financial crisis. Um, before that, uh, um, Bytelet has only existed as a product since around 1997, and uh, those early years were, were of growth. Um, so it's, it's only uh, in the last couple of years that we've seen this really challenging environment from tax and regulatory changes and interest rate rises. How much are these challenges a concern to your members then uh, as in the banking and finance industry if these strains are emerging uh, in this particular part of the market? Obviously, rises in, in uh, areas are always a concern and uh, our members uh, have um, business as usual fair balance measures available to uh, to, to their, their buy-to-let investors just the same as, as they are to the uh, residential sector. The thing that is helping both the residential and the buy-to-let sector in particular uh, in, in this uh, um, part of, um, of the uh, challenging environment is the responsible lending rules that have been in place both for buy-to-let and resi um, since around uh, uh, 2014 in the resi sector and since around 2016-17 uh, in the uh, in the buy-to-let sector. And that's ensuring that uh, the, the mortgage that, that a buy-to-let landlord takes out is affordable not just at the point of entry, but in the uh, the event of a stressed interest rate scenario, which is exactly what we're seeing now. So the vast majority of, of current buy-to-let landlords have been stress-tested at, at, uh, at rates that are, are typically above what they're paying now. So although they're making... Um, less profit, they're, they're, they're finding things much more squeezed, the vast majority are able to cope with this interest rate rise. James, uh, not many people will feel, or at least many people will not feel that sympathetic towards landlords, but there is a danger here, isn't there, if many of them leave the market, that that does just drive the price up for renters? Uh, yeah, it is It is a, a, a worry. If there were to be a mass exodus from the uh, buy-to-let sector, 
it would be a problem in terms of putting pressure on on on, on, land, on, on renters in terms of rental prices. However, we're not seeing a mass exodus at this point. We are seeing an amount of rationalisation. The buy-to-let stock itself is is shrinking very uh, very modestly. Um, typically, since 1997, when it began, buy-to-let has been a buy-and-hold asset um, because most the vast majority of landlords are in it for the long term. Um, as uh, as all these uh, tax and regulatory changes and now interest rate changes have made it more and more difficult, we are seeing more landlords exit the market. But the other thing you have to remember about buy-to-let is a lot of the buy-to-let stock is held by much older people. Um, lots of people have uh, invested in buy-to-let as a retirement uh, investment. And w- once it gets to a certain stage in, in your retirement, you're no longer happy to uh, to go through the hassle of being a landlord. And the, these types of uh, uh, landlords are starting to exit the market. Now, there's an amount of consolidation we're seeing with um, larger landlords and uh, typically um, limited companies absorbing a lot of the uh, the, the, the stock for sale. Um, but some of it is 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 resulting in a small decrease in the buy-to-let stock. I just want to pick up on that, actually, because it's very interesting, because I, I hear lots of anecdotal evidence that, that there is a mass exodus of landlords. So, so you're saying you, you don't think there is a mass exodus of buy-to-let landlords? We are not seeing a mass exodus in our, our data. We're seeing a, a, a gentle decline, and I mean gentle in terms of, of, of small small amounts less each month in, in, the, in the overall buy-to-let stock. And that's following uh, uh, 15, sorry, 15, the, the buy-to-let stock increasing year on year, every year since uh, uh, 1997 up until last year. Uh, so this is the first time we have seen a decline in the stock, but it is very small. So James, mass exodus would be a gross, gross exaggeration of what we're seeing. So we're not seeing it yet, but markets and economists reckon that the Bank of England has further to go in terms of rate rises. Where is the stress point? How high do rates have to go to see that mass exodus? Well, we, we couldn't really comment on exactly where that would be, but it would be um, based on uh, historic uh, stress test rate. It would have to be um, rather higher than it is now. Um, market rate, market expectations are not for for dramatic further increases in in bank rate and so the extent of uh, rises further rises we're likely to see in interest rates is unlikely to push it over a, uh, a an average tipping point so we, we expect the vast majority of landlords to still be fine even with the further interest rates to come, rate rises to come what uh, effect do regulatory reforms have on the market? As Michael Gove is putting through, obviously, a big package of rental reforms in Parliament at the moment. Do landlords for, for fear tougher regulation? Uh, broadly speaking, all, all the regulation that uh, uh, that makes it a, a better environment for renters, uh, we welcome and uh, our, uh, our members welcome as well. Um, so, so the, uh, the the legislation that's going through uh, Parliament at the moment. Um, as a trade body and as an industry, we welcome. Um, landlords in, in general shouldn't have anything to fear from any of it. It just uh, solidifies the, uh, the the correct operating environment. And Bytelet has actually helped to improve the quality of the rental stock since mm. 1997. And Bytelet landlords tend to be uh, um, operated uh, much more as, as an ongoing business. And so uh, so the vast majority of them will will be able to uh, absorb the rental and, and regulatory changes uh, without too much problem. It does okay. make it a, a more um, adverse operating environment and some will, as we've seen, exit the, the market. And that's largely the ones who bought it as a, uh, an, uh, we, we hesitate to use amateur and professional in the uh, in the buy-to-let sector because there are some 
small-scale amateur landlords who operate very, very professionally. Um, but, but what we're seeing is a rationalization towards the larger portfolio landlords who are able to defray costs across their portfolio. Okay. James Tatch, Head of Analytics at UK Finance, thanks very much for joining us with the details of that. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineers were Marufal Hussain and Max Green. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.